Worship team, thank you. Well, last week we finished up a series called Killing It, about pride and how we kill our pride and how we allow the Lord to kill our pride and whatnot, and it was, I thought, a really good series. Um, and next, or today, we're starting a new series. And I have the privilege to, to start this series with you. Um, our teaching team, there's going to be a couple of others, especially when I go on vacation um, in a month or so. Uh, are going to help teach this one as well. We're going to be in this series for about six weeks, looking at, uh, at at this concept that I believe can change your life. This news that can change your life. And I, and I don't believe I'm grandstanding here, or or you know I'm not running for office or trying to sell you something. Because um, a lot of times when you hear news like that, you're like, oh really, a salad mixer is going to change my life. Oh, really, if I elect you, you're going to really change my life? Um, you know, you hear that a lot. We, we use that term to some extent. It's overused. But I really feel this is valid in saying that this concept, this news, it's a game changer. It truly is a truth that can change your life. See, when I was 21 years old, um, I, I remember kind of the news that came to me via my, my, my beautiful wife, um, not my wife then, but when I asked her to marry me, she said yes. That, that, was, that was news to me when she said yes to me. That was a game changer. It changed my life. Because in a couple of months, I was going to be married. I was no longer going to be single. Um, there was a lot of things that were going to change completely. And so I had, with that news that, with, that hit me, I started to already start to process and change um, in my life, my life in general, how my life looked, what, what I was supposed to do, what my money that I was saving was now not for me, it was for both, you know. There was a lot of planning, a lot of things that happened because that news helped change my life. A, a similar example of this was when my wife and I, we dropped our, our 10-month-old off, Emily, who's our oldest, um, at... at I think our in-laws, her, her parents' house, and we went to the doctor to see how the new baby in my wife's belly was coming along because she had ex- been experiencing issues and problems that hadn't happened in the first one. And so we kind of were like, well, what's going on? So they had scheduled a sonogram kind of before you're supposed to have a sonogram, at least back then. We weren't trying to find out the sex of the baby or anything. And, and I remember just sitting there, and, and we were like, you know, sitting there like, I hope everything's okay, you know, hope everything's good, like we've already got a 10-month-old. And, and the sonogram technician is like, well, I hope you guys are ready for two. And we were like, what? <laughs> we've got a 10-month-old and you're telling us we're having twins in like seven months. Um, so in 18 months, we were going to have... You know, we got an 18-month-old and two newborns. And so that was news that changed, that rocked our world. Like, literally. Because we were just kind of like, have you ever seen people that have, like, where a bomb has gone off next to them? And they're just kind of like, shell shock? Just kind of walking around like a zombie, you know? Like, what's going on, you know? That's where we we were for a while. And, And then we were like... We got to prepare. Like we had to sell the Volkswagen Bug and get a minivan, and you know, because we we had instantly gone from a three-person family to a five-person family. You know, we had three car seats, and three car seats don't fit in the back of a Toyota Camry. You know, they just don't. Um, and, and so there, it was like, you know, and then how do you go shopping, right? 
how do you go to Costco and get all this? So there was just so many things. Like that news changed our world. See, we get this. And many of you have gotten news similar to that. If I were to put this in a really simple aspect, our lives are shaped by the truths or the news that we embrace, as well as the ones that unfold in front of us. Because some of us have gotten news that, that really we weren't expecting to get, such as you're going to have twins. Like we knew we were going to have a baby, but we didn't know we were going to have twins. That was news. Um, but some of you have really gotten hit with, with this game-changing news like, like you go into work and there's the impending sale of your business that you've been a part of, working with, working in, and, and the owners have decided to sell and they didn't consult you. And now you're like, this has just unfolded. My life is going to be changed. Or the news that maybe you got your dream job. You've been trying and trying and trying, and it seems like, Lord, what's going on? Like, I, I don't understand. But then, all of a sudden, this news that, oh, you got it. I was listening to a, a, an actress talk about a show that she got that was a really popular show. And she was like, kind of had given up on it. Because after weeks and weeks, and it had been like months, like almost like a month and a half. And she's like, well, I guess I didn't get it. And she called up her, her agent. She's like, well, do we have any other? He's like, what are you talking about? Why are you looking for another job? You got that one job. She's like, I didn't even know I got it. And she got it. And it was like a game changer for her and her, her acting. But that, that's what happens, right? We don't know. And all of a sudden it changes the world around us. Or maybe it's that, that news of that diagnosis or disease or sickness, which has just changed your future or changed how you will live your future in ways that you never thought possible. Or, or maybe... It's that phone call in the middle of the night or that time where you're sitting with your family and you really can't sleep because the waiting room of a hospital is not comfortable at three in the morning and the doctor comes in and gives you the news of the death that you never thought would happen to this person that you never thought would die. You see, the news has transformed you. That truth which is unfolded before you or of which you embrace, transforms your now day-to-day into the future. See, we all experience this. We all go through this. And whether you like it or not, we are a product. We are a resemblance of this news that has hit us. And very much so, Jesus... 2,000 years ago, comes on the scene and embraces, uh, actually shows and reveals the good news, which he reveals to all people. And we have a choice. Today, do we embrace that gospel, that good news? Do we embrace this? Because it will change your life. You see, Jesus came to share this news with all of creation, with all people. It'll change not only your life, it'll change your family. It'll change your friends and your world or your job, everything. And this is important because everyone, everyone, one out of one people is seeking joy, but many won't find it. Everyone is seeking contentment, but very few will find it. Everyone is reaching for peace, but very few will find it. See, we need this news. We need to embrace this truth. 
We were meant to connect with God, grow in faith, and serve Him and others. We need the message of our Maker to transform our world. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be really looking at this concept of kingdom come, His will be done. And so in this introduction, what I would love to do is I want to point out three simple truths about the kingdom coming into our life. What does it mean when the the kingdom comes? And and I guess if I were to look at the take-home truth, really simply, it's, it's put like this. When the kingdom comes, it's personal, it's present, and it's powerful. The kingdom comes personal, present, and powerfully. So, if you could do me a favor, let's stand as we read out of the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, where Jesus outlines a very simple passage here as he's preaching his one and only sermon. And he's talking to his disciples and he's talking to all people about how to pray. He says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive for you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your father will not forgive your sin. Okay, you may be seated. Um, very famous passage. I'm sure you guys know this passage. Some of you have memorized this passage. You, you, as kids, maybe you said it. Uh, or, or maybe you, you didn't grow up in the church at all and you really don't know a lot about church and, 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 and you've, Jesus and whatnot, but you have, to some extent, heard this maybe. Um, what I want to do is outline some basic truth here that Jesus is saying, that's actually super simple. Because he's not talking to scholars. He's not talking to the religious elites, the the, the double, triple PhD type people. He's talking to farmers. He's talking to to fishermen. He's talking to men and and women and and children and young and old. He's talking to people. He's talking to you and me. And it's simple. And yet so profound. And so the first thing that I'd love to, to, to outline here that I believe Jesus is outlining for us about the kingdom is it's personal. The kingdom is personal. See, Jesus here is reminding everyone of the standard fare of religious leaders. I mean, see, at that time, this whole thing, it almost seems like, what's he talking about? You know, the hypocrites and, and standing and babbling and blah, 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 and all this stuff. It just seems like a big, like, what is this? He's basically reminding the people about a lot of what the religious people of that day did, which, which hasn't really changed much. But all the things they would do to get God's attention, or to hold and keep God's attention, or their God's attention, or the God's, plural, attention. And it was very grandiose, and it was very impersonal. And this is why Jesus uses the word hypocrite. The, the, the actual word is hypocrite, it's hypocrito, and, and it's interesting because it's not like the hypocrite we use today. It, it, it's, 
The hypocrite was known as an actor. It really was just an actor. It was like he was saying, don't be like the actors. Because see, actors of that day would dress up, put a mask on, a lot of men dressed up like women to pretend to be that role like in Shakespearean setup. They would have the, the, these men. And so the men weren't women, but they would dress up like women and play women because they were, they were acting. They were pretending. They would put on a mask and be somebody different. And they would say, here are the hypocrites today. And Jesus is very much outlining and saying, this is what many, many people do to get and hold God's attention. They play the actor as if they have to say something or be something completely different. I need to be a certain way, act a certain way so that God can hear me. If I am not like so-and-so or do such-and-such, then I won't get the attention of God. Or if I don't barter with God and give Him what He wants, I'll never get what I want. Or if I don't say the right things and know the right stuff, then God, God really doesn't hear me. You see, things haven't changed very much, if we're honest. A lot of people still feel this way. I've talked to so many people that go, I I can't go to church. Well, why? I just, I wouldn't fit in. I wouldn't fit in. I I don't know if that's for me. It's like, you don't have to be somebody different. (laughs) The church isn't a stage to get up there and you have to know your lines. You have to know the right things to say, the right people's hands to shake. Right, you know, it's not that way, and yet very much so people still feel that way. You see, and, and, and Jesus comes along and he revolutionizes this. I mean, it's, it's absurd what he says. Jesus does something so radical, so radical. See, they lived in the day where the average Jewish person could not even speak the name of God. They couldn't even speak it. In fact, the scribes at that day, when they would write the Old Testament, this is why the Old Testament is so well preserved, because when they would write the name of God, they would go take a bath. They had to, to be clean, just to write the name of God, which is great when it comes to how we treat God as holy and other than and honor his name. There's a respect there, which is awesome. So Jesus does something in the light of that, that almost disrespects God. It seems like it. He says, he says when, you, when you talk to God, you do it personally. You don't need a show. And then he says, you call him Papa. You call him Daddy. He uses this word, it's very complex in the Aramaic. It's like a, a connection of two different words. It basically is like, my loving Daddy. This hit me today, by the way. I I wasn't even thinking of this. And when I started studying this again, I was like, oh, yeah. My son comes with me sometimes to church early. And he's going to be 12 years old in like a couple of weeks. Which is really weird, because he's our youngest, you know. And and, and I'm only like 24, so it's really weird. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, we had him early, didn't we? Um, And... And he's going to be 12. And he, you know, he, not a lot of people think he's going to be that because he's, he, he's like I was when I was his age. I was really short. And, he, and he's kind of short, you know? And, but, but, you know, when you talk to him, you're like, you realize, oh, he's, he's more like a 12-year-old in his brain, you know? But, uh, but there's still a lot of things that he's very young in. And, and, and we were getting out of the car and I was talking to him about something. And he did something which I didn't, I've never really thought about very much, but I really thought about it today for some weird reason. And then the Lord showed me why. But he called me Daddy. 
And, and I was like, that's so weird. Because I, I never, I don't call up my dad and, hey daddy, I don't do that. And there's not a lot of men that call up their fathers and say, daddy. We kind of lose that. Now girls are a little different. You know, I, I've seen, you know, my, my, my uh, wife, she, she'll talk to her dad and sometimes she'll call him daddy. But it's very rare you see a man call a father daddy, even as they get older. And so I was kind of thinking, like, when, when am I going to lose that with him? You know, when, when is that transition not going to happen? And will I lose something with my son because of that? Because I want him to call me daddy. You see, our God, our Heavenly Father, wants us to call him daddy. That's huge. That's, that's, that's Hebrews. Come before the throne of grace boldly and request whatever you want. That's ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. Like that's huge. That's the kingdom. The kingdom that comes is personal. I love this story, by the way. It's a Spanish story. It's kind of a famous story. You might have heard it. Um, of a father who, who became estranged to his son. And, and really, we don't know why, you know, that he became estranged. There's a lot of reasons that fathers and sons can become estranged. Um, but the son ran away, and the, and the father set off to find him. And for months and months and months and months, he looked for his son. He, 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 he went to all the places that his son used to go, and, you know, and, but Spain's a big place, and he just couldn't find him. So finally, in a last-ditch, desperate effort, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper for his son. And, and, and the ad read simply, it says, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you. Signed, your father who misses you. The dad went down there on that Saturday and out front of the newspaper were 800 Pacos. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's funny, right? But it's also so true. It is so true. You see, we have a God who sent His Son to die on a cross so that He could show His personal love to each and every one of us. He sent us a letter signed in the blood of His Son and said, all is forgiven. I love you. I miss you. I want you in my life. I want to be a part of your life. It's personal. He wants you to call him daddy. Will you? Do you? Secondly, the kingdom is present. If the kingdom is personal, the kingdom is present as well. It's present. Now, I love what Jesus says. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, I think to understand this idea or this concept of present, we have to know what it isn't. And, and, and many people, myself included for many years when I was younger, look at um, kingdom living or this idea of following God as a, mon- as a Sunday thing. Monday through Saturday, it's my kingdom. God gets his kingdom on Sunday. And it's almost like this compartmentalization of kingdom come. 
So we have many people who live as if the kingdom is a future day on Sunday, but today at work it's my kingdom. And and if I need to tell off a few people or fudge some numbers on the reports to to pad the bottom line, then then I'm fine. Or, or when it comes to what I buy or what I watch or what I look at, it's really my kingdom in the present. But in the future, on Sunday, I'll work with, with God on that. Or I'm going to fret and I'm going to worry all week long as I scramble, as I plot, as I manipulate, and do whatever it takes to make life happen. Forgetting all the while that the kingdom is for right now, in the moment, in my day, in my good, even in my bad or my ugly, warts and all. I, I sometimes wonder if people haven't left the church in droves, young people especially, because they've seen so much people not living the kingdom today, present, right now, interactive with how they deal with traffic or how, how they deal with homeless people or how they deal with their neighbors or how they deal with work and how, how they deal with business. And, 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 and as the Old Testament says, as you walk and talk with your kids, you show them and share with them the truth of living present with God. It's on your lips. It's on your, on your mind. It's on your heart. You're continually showing them what it is to follow God, not meaning that you sit around and just quote Bible verses at them. Or everybody have a devotional. This is not. I'm not here to make you feel uh, uh, um, guilty on this. Like, oh man, I haven't had a devotional with my kids in a while. That's not necessarily what this means. But every day, is it being present in God's kingdom, or or are you more present in your kingdom? That's that's the idea here. Uh, let, let, to understand this better, I think there's a great Nobel Prize uh, winning psychologist who had a, had a study. Daniel Kahneman, he recounts the story behind this famous experiment conducted at New York University. See, participants in this experiment uh, were, were led to individual booths, so they had all these individual booths, where they were to talk in turn for about two minutes and just tell random things about their life. Um, only one microphone was active at any one time. So there's, you know, you can imagine five or six different booths and, and, and they say, okay, n- number two, now you talk about your life a little bit and, and the, the microphone would come on and they would talk. Now there were six participants in each group, or there were six, one of whom was a stooge. You know, that, that's an old school way of saying they, they, were, they, were suppo- they were paid to be there to do something they weren't, you know, the others didn't know about, right? So the stooge spoke first following a script prepared by the experimenters. Those darn psychologists, they're always messing with us, aren't they? (laughs) Now, he described his problem adjusting to New York and admitted the obvious embarrassment that he was prone to seizures, especially when stressed. All the participants then afterwards, after hearing him, they would have their turn and they would talk too. Now, when the microphone was again turned over to the stooge, he became agitated and incoherent. And he said he felt a seizure coming on and asked for someone to help him. And the last words heard were, could somebody help? And choking sounds like, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Seizure. And you just hear quiet in the microphone. Now imagine you're in the booth next to him or, or down the road and you're hearing this. You're like, what the? You know, you don't know this is, this is a script. How do you, this guy's possibly dying. How do you think the participants responded to the person they thought was having a seizure? Kahneman reports that only four of the 15 participants responded immediately to the appeal for help. Now, now these, are, these are housewives, gas station attendants, lawyers, teachers. These are normal people. 
These are, these are people that would describe themselves as, yeah, I'm a good person. In the moment, I choose to do good things. In the moment, I am present when it comes to my fellow man. They would say that. Four out of 15. This is across the board. Six stayed in the booth. They never even got up. Five came out only after the seizure victim had nearly choked to death. See, the majority thought someone else would handle it. I I, I don't need to be present because someone else will be as the guy dies. See, this is why Jesus calls us to the kingdom, which is present. It has to be present. There are people who are dying all around us. And nothing says present like the people around you. Nothing says present like the people around you. See, younger people, I feel, are leaving the church, many of them, because the, the, the church is no longer present with the community around it. The church is no longer present with the needs of the suffering. The church is no longer present with the burdens and the suffering and the pain and the lack of those around it. This is a huge truth. And and most of the time, we sit in a room and think the other person has got it. No, the truth is, God is calling you to be present, to connect with the community, grow in faith, and serve Jesus. This is why Jesus reminds us to be present, even in how we pray. I love this. He he changes this around, and I've talked about this before with the Kaddish, which is a common Jewish prayer of the time. He actually takes this, and he switches it around to be something very not only personal, but very present with people. He says, give us, not me, today, all of us, not just me, our daily bread. Forgive us, you and me, our debts, as we, not just me, also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, you and me, not into temptation, but deliver us, not just me, from the evil one. Do you get what he's doing here? This was not a common prayer. This was revolutionary. It was like he was saying, oh yeah, you've got to love God, but you've got to be present with people. My kingdom is present loving me and loving others. I, I, sometimes I believe nothing says this more than the people that are living right next to you and me every day. They're called our neighbors. Now, Recently, we had a barbecue at our house, and, and my wife and I, I, I made some flyers, and I said, we're going to go into our community, and we're going to go invite our neighbors to our barbecue. And I was sweating. These are my neighbors. I'm not going into a prison with no guards around me, you know? I'm not walking into battlefield, you know, in Afghanistan or something. I'm just going next door. But man, I was sweating. And, and we came across a few neighbors. Many, some of them didn't even open their doors. We knew they were home. It's like, all right. And I was ready to do the... I, I'm like that. I'm just very annoying. I'm like, oh, you didn't hear me? You know, I, just the way I am. Jason did this to me once. Because I, I text and I'm like, oh, did he get my text? I don't know. So I'll text again. And then I'll text again. And that's just the way I am. Because I'm not trying to be... You know, but he's like, dude, you don't got to double text me. I got it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know you got it. You know what I mean? Because I think he was busy or something. Something was going on. But I'm just that way. I'm, I'm annoying and I don't mean to be. I just am. I apologize. But uh, so I'm ready to knock again. She's like, no, no, Chris, that's rude. Let's just, they, we gave him a chance. We'll, we'll go on. We'll, we'll get him again. Like, oh, okay. But I'm like nervous and everything. And 
You know, and we had a couple that actually showed up to our barbecue and we were able to talk to them and hang out with them and it was great. And, and before you're like, wow, my pastor is so, no, this took us a, over a year. We've been there since last April. Like, this is over a year it's taken me to go and talk to my other neighbors. I've talked to one of them and I've kind of, but this, you know, it's not like I'm doing the greatest job. But I'm trying to be present. Because just as I was talking to my neighbors, I'm like learning, they're starting to share stuff with me that I'm like, whoa, this is kind of heavy. All I'm doing is being present. But it takes me to disengage from my kingdom of watching my TV or playing my games or working in my garden and doing my kingdom and start going, God, what what do you want me to do right now in your kingdom, in your present? Do you get it? That's what Jesus is saying. It's so personal and it's so present. Lastly, the kingdom is powerful. He says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I love this because this is hardcore. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ooh. It's almost like, okay, you really believe it's about loving me? Yeah, but you really need to know it's about loving others. See, real power is misunderstood in today's day and age. A lot of times we look at the the powerful as the top 100 richest earners on the Forbes magazine. Those are the powerful, right? Or the governmental leaders. Those are the powerful. The ones that have the most money, the most clout, the most guns, the most followers on Facebook, the biggest house, the best car, the best job, the biggest paycheck. I mean, you name it. That's what we look at to be the most powerful, right? I mean, a sports car, a muscle car pulls up next to a Yugo. Nobody looks at the Yugo and says, power, baby. They look at the sports car. Same thing when, when, a, when a businessman dressed to the nines is standing next to a homeless man. No one says to the homeless man, what, what, what power? But see, Jesus flips us around. Because if it's not just personal, it's not just present, it's also powerful. And it's not the power that we think. Jesus brings it back to the most powerful way to live. Forgiveness. See, anyone and everyone can get mad and strike back. Anyone and everyone can hold a grudge. Anyone and everyone can get bitter. And and anyone and everyone can, can seek vengeance. But real power, power that has changed the world for the better, where we've really seen the kingdom completely other than what we try to create. Because <laughs> we've been doing that for the be- since the beginning of time. We're not doing that great. When one out of four girls is abused today, that's disgusting. We're not doing that great. When one out of three kids dies in Burkina Faso from lack of clean water, we're not doing that great. When 22,000 children are dying every day from lack of food, we're not doing that great. When we have more slaves today than we've ever had in the history of the world, we're not doing that great. See, we need the kingdom to come now. And we need the power of God here. I need the power of God in my life, and I know you need it in your life. Forgiveness is extended... That's when true power is seen. And that's what Jesus is saying. Because the true power of the cross is forgiveness. 
the ministry of reconciliation to say, you were at war with me, but I forgive you. You struck me, but I'm not going to strike you back. You've blown it, but I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to embrace you. I could talk more about this, but I think, I think something more powerful than that is what we can see in real life as forgiveness takes place. I want to show you a clip of something. And I think if you really look at this, you'll see something so powerful, it should move you. And if it doesn't move you, you're not looking. So let's, let's watch this really quick. You took something very precious away from me. I would never talk to her ever again. I would never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. You know, I forgive you and my family forgive you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ. We welcome you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts, but as we say in a Bible study, we enjoyed you, but may God have mercy on you. See, if you want real power, it's found in forgiveness. Some of you picked up on that. That was the, the, the shooter that killed all those eight people at a, at a church. Very hate-filled. And, and he, he killed them there after, after spending an hour in Bible study with them. I remember the same thing happening into an Amish community where a gunman came in and killed kids. Little ones and older, older but kids. And the Amish community rallied around that young man and said, what you did was totally wrong, just like what you see here. What you did was totally wrong. But we forgive you because your hate is not as strong as the power of forgiveness. And they've not stopped loving that man. You see, this is, this is what we need. This is what this world needs. I mean... You watch the news and it's so divisive, isn't it? We, we, we see fear all day long. We see hate. We see arguing. We see d- disunity, disruption. I mean, it's constant. And God comes along. He comes on the scene and He says, Hey, I'm here for you personally. For the kingdom personally. To bring you to my Father who loves you Personally, it's the answer to your needs, to your wants, to your to everything inside of you. To have that purpose. And, and, and you can be present in your reality today to deal with the pain and the suffering. It doesn't disavow it. It doesn't ignore it. It deals with it. It's a Savior that gets up on a cross that says, in the present, I'm going to die for your future. 
Because that's the power of, of reconciliation and forgiveness. This is true power. Power that caused the Roman guard to stop and say of Jesus on the cross, surely this was the Son of God. I want to challenge you. Do you have this power in your life? In your past there was that person or maybe those people who hurt you and caused you immense pain, but the truth is they're still there. They haven't gone. You're still holding on to the pain and the people even though you don't actually see them anymore. Will you allow God's kingdom to come and bring His power into even this area of your life? How about the many things that you have done in your own life that you regret? Things that you never thought you would do to people. Where you hurt. You never thought you would hurt them, but you did. And you find that you are powerless, unable to truly forgive yourself. But Jesus announces the kingdom which can truly bring the power of forgiveness that you and I need. I have an area on the, the note sheet, if you guys are looking, where there's just empty lines. My hope is that you put something in there where you say, you ask those questions, you take this home, I mean, you really think about this, because we all need to do this. Are you seeing forgiveness? Are you seeing the power of God? Is the kingdom truly coming into your life? Because that's what this world needs. Amen? So what I'd like to do is I'd just like to go to the Lord in prayer as He directs us. Because prayer is where we really can see this forgiveness, this power of God, where we can really be present and we really can be personal. And so I just want to encourage you right now that if there's, there's something in your life, there's just things, maybe it's, maybe it's worrying and fret, or, or, or maybe it's just depression or anxiety, or, or, or maybe it's anger. I mean, there's so many different things that can assault you and assail you. We need the news, the good news of the gospel. And you need the power of forgiveness power at the cross to let go of these things and so I want to encourage you write those down and as the as the band just kind of quietly plays along here I mean I really want you to just take this time this is this is the time and if you can I mean put your put your arm on someone around you because this is the present <laughs> and, and, and just just pray for them silently pray for them out loud just take this time. Because nothing says the power of God like the people of God around you. And the forgiveness that we can give to each other. The love that we can extend to each other. The help and the hope that Jesus extended to you and me personally, powerfully, and in the present. Lord, we thank you we bless you. Right now, as, as people are praying, as right now, as people are contemplative and thinking and being introspective with the things going on in their life, I pray that you would show them what they need to see. Lord, I pray that you would show me what I need to see. I pray in our families, where can we grow? Where are we not present in our families? 
we not personally seeking you on Tuesdays or Wednesdays? Lord, where is there unforgiveness in our life that is blocking the power you want to bring to us? I pray for open hearts. I pray for healing. Holy Spirit, ignite a fire in us. We have the message, the good news, which can even be extended to those who try to take our life. We thank you and we love you. Your kingdom come and your will be done here in our community as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.